Would you pray with me again, please? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word together. And I pray right now that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lead us as we interact with your word. Open our hearts up to your word even as we open it up to us. And I, I pray that you help us to, to be changed by it. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a very special privilege this morning, and it's the first time I've ever been able to do this, so I'm very excited. Maybe you can look at it and you can see the excitement, but I'm very excited. Um, this morning I have the opportunity for the first time to be preaching on the exact same text that my daughter is preaching on right now. <laughs> Megan is giving her very first sermon right now, so be praying for her, But um, and even if you have to stop listening to me to pray for her, do it. Um, but we're going to be like twins today. I didn't look to see what she's going to be wearing or anything, but, you know, basically twins. That's a joke that's going to land in a couple of minutes, and about two of you are going to giggle. But um, it's going to be very exciting. I like messing with my children. I appreciate my children, um, and I'm proud of my children. Um, I was just talking to, to Megan the other night about... Actually, some of you were there for this. Um, years ago, at, at Christmas time, we were joking about silly things and expectations and I said you know everybody everybody always puts candy and pinatas and little toys and things and, and for your birthday I'm going to put broccoli in your pinata and uh yeah a couple of you are like yeah and they were like <laughs> and then I didn't say anything for six months about it and uh we went out to the park I had a bunch of their friends there and they had a pinata and everybody got excited and they're whacking the pinata and one of the kids finally took it out and broke it open and Broccoli came out. Yay! The wave of reaction across the kids was awesome. Because there was like a two-second, what? And then Megan and Alex started cracking up. And about ten seconds later, the rest of the kids were like, okay. But the kid that actually broke the pinata just stood there with the baseball bat looking at it going, Like maybe if he just, is it candy broccoli? You know, he's just like, he was utterly clueless. And, and I was talking to him and I said, I, I told you I was going to put broccoli in the pinata. And they said, yeah, but that was six months ago. And I mean, yeah, but who puts broccoli in a pinata? And I said, I told you I was going to do that. I said, I know, but that's nonsense. Who puts broccoli? Dad, my dad puts broccoli in a pinata. But I told them. As we went through talking about Resurrection Sunday, if you'll remember, the, the, the women went to the tomb to deal with how to finish burying Jesus. By the time they got there, he was gone. And the angel sitting there going, I, I, I don't understand. Why are you here? Like, well, because Jesus died. They go, right, but why are you here? Because like, he was buried. They go, right, but why are you here? So because we assumed that if Jesus died and was buried, he'd be in the tomb. They went, he told you he'd put broccoli in the pinata. Why are you shocked when broccoli comes out of the pinata? Like, because that's nonsense. I mean, yes, he said broccoli. We thought he was kidding, or maybe not kidding, but we thought it was like symbolic of something. I don't know. The one thing we didn't expect was Broccoli. I know what you're having for lunch. But 
I'm going to submit to you that a large part of what faith entails, I mean, sometimes faith really does entail trusting things that are unbelievable. But a large part of what faith entails is simply trusting what God told us. It's not even trusting that you can walk on water, sometimes. But sometimes it's just, he said broccoli, and there's going to be broccoli. Just trust what he said. It's pragmatism. It's pragmatically trusting people that you know you can trust. If Wendy tells me something, even if it sounds ridiculous, if she seems to think it's true, I'm going to trust her because I trust her. I don't have to understand it all. I have faith because I trust her character. That's, that's all pragmatism. It, pragmatism isn't materialism. It's just saying, okay, well, what works? What, what can I trust? What do I know I can trust? Let me do that. Let me trust God and what he says, regardless of what the outcome is. Again, in Sunday school, we talked about something that we talked about on Wednesday. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, saying we trust God. We think God can save us from the fiery furnace. Walk on water. But even if he doesn't, even if we fry, we still trust God. That's pragmatic faith. I can believe the unbelievable, but more so because I just believe God. I just trust him. Only two people ever got out of this life alive, and pretty sure you're not going to be one of them. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be one of them. Jesus wasn't even one of them. To me, the most trusting, pragmatic, stable character in Scripture is Thomas. I love me, my Thomas. Doubting Thomas gets read out of context all the time. People pick on poor Thomas and by the way, Thomas is who Megan is preaching on this morning. She's going to be preaching on John chapter 20. By the way, that is, uh, that's a section that we sneakily skipped. I don't know if you noticed that. As we were going through Resurrection Sunday stuff, we skipped. <laughs> I knew this was coming up. I get to see the schedule. Anyway, I love Thomas because people say, oh, he's this doubter. I mean, the the, the women at the tomb didn't doubt. The, the disciples didn't doubt. It was only Thomas, right? Actually, thinking back to it, we just said the women at the tomb struggled to believe. Even, even after Mary saw Jesus, she's struggling to believe with different things because it's broccoli. I know he said broccoli, but I wasn't expecting broccoli. But he said broccoli. I know, but he was... I know, it's your favorite. And if you remember from Mark chapter 16, when they came back and they told the disciples, oh, we actually saw it, they didn't believe it, right? Because again, it's, it's broccoli. They weren't believing it. They thought that sounded ridiculous. I mean, yes, he had said that. But there's a reason why we're told in Mark chapter 16, verse 14, that Jesus rebuked them when he, found, when he, when he spent some time with them. He rebuked them for their lack of faith. And their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he'd risen. He's like, you, you lack faith. We just talked about in Sunday school this morning. The, these are the same disciples that said, aren't you afraid that we're going to drown this huge storm? I know from storms. It's a dangerous storm. How can you be asleep? And he's like, how can you be afraid? You may know storms. I make them. How can you be afraid? And here he's like, I, I'm rebuking you for your, your lack of faith here, guys. How could you not know this? How could you doubt? And it's not that he doesn't recognize that most pinatas have candy. He's not stupid. But he, he's like, I told you broccoli. 
I told you what to expect. You're being stubborn about this. It's not just that this is bizarre. It's not just that anybody would have trouble wrapping their heads around it. It's you are stubbornly refusing to believe because it doesn't match your expectations. You may even have wanted broccoli, but you were so expecting candy, you can't believe it. Because we tend to only be willing to accept emotionally what we already expected to see, right? You have to actually stop and let God change you, and most of us struggle with that concept. But the world is bigger than what you can already touch or taste or smell. Pragmatically, we need to just trust God. Just, he, he rebukes them all. He says, I rebuke all of you. Actually, not all. He doesn't rebuke Thomas there. Turn with me to John chapter 20, if you haven't already done so. And while you're doing that, let me back up a little bit and remind us a little bit about Thomas. If you remember back in John chapter 11, Jesus' friend Lazarus had died, um, and his sisters Mary and Martha and Bethany were, were saying, come back to Bethany, come back to Judea, and, and, and heal him before he dies. Because Jesus hadn't been in Judea, he'd been out in kind of the outer line, because every time he got close to Jerusalem, the leadership there tried to kill him. So thought he could get a little bit more accomplished if he stayed away from Jerusalem for a little bit. And Bethany, if you'll remember from the map, the map the other day, Bethany's a suburb of Jerusalem. Well, he waited two days, and then he told his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, um, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you to death there. Um, you want to go back there? We thought that the whole reason we were sticking around here was because you're smart. We thought Mary and Martha said, come back to Bethany, and you said, no, 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 I'll die. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I said, no, we're not going back to Bethany because I wanted to let Lazarus die. I didn't go back because I love them. I love the way that's phrased in John. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, he waited another two days. Because he loved them, he wanted to wait for Lazarus to die. I don't know, you ever think that God might be not doing his job if you pray for something and God doesn't seem to let that happen? And somebody dies or something bad happens as a result of God just not doing his job because you prayed and it didn't ever dawn on you that maybe... Maybe the bad, horrible thing that you really didn't want to happen, maybe God let that happen because he loves you and he knows more. It's kind of hard sometimes to wrap our head around that. But he's like, I love them and I wanted him to die so that God could be glorified and it's not going to end with him being dead. Trust me on this one. He's not going to end up dead. I mean, eventually, but not here, not now. After he said this, he went on to tell him, our, La our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going to go there to wake him up. And his disciples said, well, I mean, if he needs his rest. I mean, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Give him some rest. Give him some orange juice. Let's not give him a house call. Let's not go there. And he's like, guys, 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 don't be willfully dense. When I said he's fallen asleep, John says he decided to plain, tell them plainly in simple words. He says, Lazarus is dead, guys. 
That's what I meant. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. If I went there and healed him, you'd go, yeah, Jesus heals people. It's great. He's kind of like the great physician. And he's like, no, for Mary and Martha's sake, I didn't go there. For your sake, I'm glad I didn't go there. Because I want you guys to believe something deeper than just I'm good at healing people. I'm a pragmatist. I want to make sure that this is done correctly and effectively. And then we're told that Thomas called Didymus, which means twin. Okay, so again, that's where the joke lands. The joke from the beginning. Anyway, (laughs) thank you for playing. Oh, you have no idea how hard this is. So then Thomas you know, one of the twins, you know, the doubter, the guy who doubts like a doubting doubter and just doesn't trust God. Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, okay, let's also go, that we could die with him. Does that sound like doubting? That sounds a lot like trusting. That sounds a lot like pragmatism that says, okay, if we said, don't you realize you're going to die? And he says, "Mm, yes, but not from this. He's like, oh, if we do die, okay, we die. Let's go with him. That's Thomas. Wherever God's leading, let's just do that. I like Thomas. Thomas is a sharp guy. Everybody else is terrified. Thomas just wants to make sure everybody understands. Call a spade a spade. Is that a shovel? Yeah, let's call it a shovel. Don't don't use fancy terms for it. Mentally prepare yourselves for what's coming up. Not once in the Gospels do we ever hear of Thomas being afraid of being arrested or afraid of being killed. It's just this quiet kind of faith that goes, okay, I just want to make sure I understood. Think about in the Last Supper, right? At the Last Supper, when everybody's peppering Jesus with questions in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Which is a construction that any good Jew would never use, the term I am. But he says, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phrase the Greek strangely so that I can say, I am. I will come back and take you to, to the place where, so you may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. That's not the same way, but that I'm going. And Thomas, being Thomas, said, okay, um, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? It's not that I doubt you. It's just I'd like a little bit of clarification here. What exactly do you mean here? And, and I say that because Jesus gets a, gives them a legit answer to his legit question. He says, how, 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 how do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am, again, straight up, I am. I am the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know the way because I am the way. Just like he said, I am the bread of life. It gives us eternal sustenance. He said, I am the light of the world that lights our path to God. I am the good shepherd who loves his life, loves his sheep and gives up his life for his sheep. I am the gate for the sheep that protects and directs them. I am the resurrection and the life who brought resurrection to Lazarus. Jesus is the way, the only way. I'm going to show you the way to heaven. Thomas goes, what is that way? Jesus says, me. Anybody else that tells you any other thing is selling something. Anybody else that tells you anything else is selling something. Maybe if you try really hard. Maybe if you're a really good person. Maybe if you follow this prophet instead. Like, nope. It isn't about how good a person it is. It's, did you use the gate? And Jesus says, I am the gate. 
He didn't show them the path to God like a spiritual guru. He said, I am the path to God, like your Savior. In that same conversation, Peter expressed frustration. Philip actually did doubt and got in trouble for it. Um, The other Judas asked Jesus, why don't you just explain this to everybody like you're explaining it to us? Everybody's trying to direct Jesus one way or another. No, that's not the way you should do it. No, I don't know. Here, you need to tell us. You need to... But unlike with Philip, who we choose out, Jesus gives Thomas a legit answer because it's a legit question. He's the only one not trying to direct Jesus. He's just pragmatically asking. So the last time we hear from Thomas is the time that everyone thinks about when they think about him being doubting Thomas. It's after the resurrection when Thomas doesn't believe what the others believe. But let's look at that. We're told that after the Sabbath, the the women came to the tomb and were shocked with what they found out, shocked that Jesus is still alive. And the women hurried away from the tomb, and in Luke 24, 11, they told the disciples, but the disciples didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like broccoli. It doesn't make any sense. How could he not be there? We put him there. Yes, he's not there. Well, you must not have looked because uh, the, there's a stone in front. No, the stone was moved away. The Romans moved it? No, the Romans were scared. So where was he? I don't know. But he wasn't in the tomb. Oh, yes, we eventually did see him. He's standing outside. No. Even after Peter and John saw the grave clothes, they went, no, I don't think so. That's just weird. And if you say, well, they asked, they're messed up. If I told you Abe Lincoln is alive, he showed up at McDonald's yesterday when I was there. And he walked over to me and he said, I'm alive. When they dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima, I came back to life, but I'm immortal now. So I've been around and I'm giving cookies to everybody. You're excited to hear it, right? Or do you go, something's gone sprawling in Pastor Kevin. We saw Jesus. And he said, yeah, I'm okay now. Something's gone sprawling in Mary. I just don't believe, it seems, I, mean, I, 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 don't, I don't want to pick on him too much because it just seems so ridiculous. And yet, he did say, there will be broccoli in the pinata. Yeah, I know he said that, but the disciples didn't believe the women because of course they didn't. But Peter, being Peter, ran to the tomb, saw the stuff, and still struggled to believe. Still. Still wondering what was going on. John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, same day that they saw the empty tomb, when the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the, of the Jews, specifically the, I mean, they're all Jews. So it's specifically the leaders of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. I love that. I love that little throwaway detail. They were in a locked room because they were scared of somebody getting in. So Jesus was there. You go, locked doors bother Jesus about as much as sealed tombs do, right? Yeah, I don't. Again, I love them. Jesus did not need the angel to open the tomb, right? Mary, Peter, John needed the angel to open the tomb. Jesus didn't. So they were in a locked room and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I'm sure he did. Because I'm sure the first thing they did was go, what? I wasn't expecting that. 
Why not? I said there would be broccoli in the pinata. I know, but I didn't expect there would be broccoli in the pinata. But I told you. He said to them, why are you guys troubled? Seriously. I said, peace be with you. And they're startled. They're frightened, Luke says. Like they'd seen a ghost. And he can't walk through the door. I don't know. He said, no, seriously, why are you troubled? Why do doubts raise in your mind? Why, why don't you have faith? They're like, I know storms. How can you be asleep? He's like, because I made storms. You, you wonder what happened with the empty tomb, but I told you what was going to happen. I walk in the door and you go, oh, how? I expl- how do you not get this? I'm not even being thoughtless. I'm not even being judgy. I'm just, how do you not get this? I said... Straight up, broccoli. How do you not get this? Why do doubts still rise in your mind? Why do what? Doubts. Y'all doubters, right? Talk about doubting Thomas. It's doubting Peter, doubting Philip, doubting Andrew. They're all doubting. He says, look at my hands and my feet, guys. It's me. It's I, myself. Touch me. See, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. And this is really important. He's like, I'm not a ghost. I'm not some undead zombie. I'm not a vampire. I'm a human being who's alive because I'm not just a human being. I'm the son of God. I'm God made flesh. But I'm God made flesh. It's me. I'm alive. I'm alive. You have to see this. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. They got the chance to... Touch them for ourselves. That's the implication here in the, in the grammar, that they, they touched them. They put their fingers in the nail holes. Every single one of them doubted until they had the chance to do it. Every single one of them doubted. Actually, not every single disciple doubted that night. Because Thomas wasn't even there. So Mark told us that Jesus rebuked them. Not just guys. No, he's like, no, seriously, this is wrong of you to refuse to believe. That's what I call doubting. And while they still didn't believe it, touch these. I did. Okay. I'm here with you. Okay, I see you. I'm not a ghost. Yeah, I get it, but I still doubt. Seriously? Mark chapter 16 says, while they still didn't believe him because of joy and amazement, he said to them, Okay, do you have anything to eat? Seriously, you're just not getting this at all? You're not believing this? You got to, uh, Resurrecting is hungry work, guys. I don't, I, you seem to think I'm some sort of apparition. Give me some fish. It's not enough to tell you in advance about the broccoli. It's not enough to come and show you again. It's not enough to show you my hands and my side. I'm going to have to give you something more direct. Fine. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it. You know why? Because he's not a ghost, he's alive. And he ate the fish. Now do you believe, guys? It took this much to make you guys believe? Every single one of them, except for Thomas. You guys are in John chapter 20, right? Because I told you to go to John chapter. John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. I've had to say this twice. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you guys. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. God had, 
Jesus had already told them that the Holy Spirit was coming, that he would bring the Holy Spirit, and now he's breathing the Holy Spirit into them, filling them with God's own presence, with their spirits, with God's spirit. Now, Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. I don't know why not. I don't know why not. But while they were hiding afraid, he wasn't. He wasn't with them. So the other gospel, the other disciples told him later on, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, well, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails are, put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe that broccoli. That is one way of reading that. If we take that out of its context and go, oh. Thomas goes, well, unless I see the nail holes in his side and unless I put my hand there, I'm not believing it. But you have to take it out of the context. Because it's not like he's giving stipulations. right? It's not like he's coming up with a list of things where he's like, this is what Jesus is going to have to do to prove himself to me. It's what Jesus did to prove to them, isn't it? So I prefer to read it that he says, they say, we've seen the Lord. And he says, right. Abe Lincoln's alive. Great. Sproing. Guys, unless I see the nail marks in his hands that you guys have. Unless I put my finger where the nails were like you guys did. Uh, unless I put my hand into his side like all of you guys apparently did the other day. I, I, I'm not going to believe it because I think you're all as delusional as Mary is. This is bizarre. He's not saying, oh, no. He's saying, guys, apparently you believe, but unless I get the same kind of proofs that you guys did. I mean, he stops short of saying, unless he eats fish in front of me. The key issue here isn't that Thomas is a doubter or that he doubts more than the rest of them. The key issue is that we all tend to want to make God prove himself before we believe it. God's proved his character over and over and over again. So if God says something, you trust it, right? He's never going to lie to you. So if he says, yeah, you can walk on water too, Peter, do you trust that or do you not trust that? We tend to want to make God prove himself. Let me put out a fleece. Let me put out a different fleece. Let me put out a, let me flip it upside down and put it under a plastic bag. And then if, if a squirrel somehow, you go, oh, stop it. How many times does God have to win you? How many times does he have to earn our trust? So if God says something, we should believe it. Even if he says, you know, I'm going to put broccoli in that pinata. You go, well, that's goofy. Okay, but if God said that's what he's going to do, I should pretty much believe that that's what God's going to do, right? But we struggle with that. We're like, yeah, but... I mean, it's two days before the birthday, and I haven't seen a pinata anywhere. God goes, yeah, I've got the pinata thing. I know, but I need a pinata. I, I know, I've got it. But I haven't seen the pinata. I, I, I said I'd have one. I know, but I called the store and they don't have any pinatas. Why did you call the store? Because I need one. I told you I've got the pinata. I know, but I need one. Or you could go slack and trust that God actually has the pinata, right? He said he would. And then you pop it open and you go, Broccoli? How was I supposed to know there was going to be broccoli in the pinata? Because you said. The point of the story is not that Thomas is a doubter, but that all of us 
tend to say, I'll believe it when I see it. When we should believe it when we hear it. What's the definition of faith that we have in Hebrews 11? The greatest sermon ever written. Hebrews 11.1 Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I have faith. I don't need proof. Oh, because faith is irrational. No, because it's totally rational for me to believe that person without them having to prove themselves to me. Faith is entirely rational. I have total faith in God. Why? Because I'm a pragmatist. And it would be ridiculous not to trust an inherently trustworthy God. Even if you're going into a fiery furnace, that changes everything. It changes nothing. Still the same character, the same God. A week later, verse 26, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time, and though the doors were locked, why? Yeah, I mean, they were afraid the last time. That's why they were locked the last time. We have no reason to believe that they aren't still afraid, which is probably why, though the doors are locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, nope, seriously, peace be with you. (coughs) Again? Seriously, seriously. Then he said to Thomas, oh, Thomas, you're here with us. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. I heard what you said, Thomas. You want your proof? Here's your proof. Is that any different than he said with any of the other disciples? And where the other disciples apparently did that. We touched it. We saw it. How does Thomas respond? I love this. Thomas said to Jesus, or or, or Jesus says, stop doubting like the rest of them did. Believe. And Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God, the only disciple to ever call Jesus God. As far as we can tell, he didn't then go, but let me test. Everybody else touched If anything, Thomas didn't. If anything, he's the most trusting, the least doubting. But I love this moment. I love this moment where he says, my Lord and my God. He doubted the same crazy broccoli facts that everybody else had doubted because he thought that they were nuts. Thomas doubted them. He didn't doubt God. And when he saw God in the flesh, he fell to his knees and said, let me worship you as my Lord, my sovereign, and let me worship you as my God. I mean, he seemed to struggle with everybody else, believing that Jesus did the broccoli he said he was going to do because he hadn't seen it yet. So Jesus told him, okay, because you've seen me, great, you've believed. That's wonderful. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who don't need their pragmatism spelled out for them. Blessed are those that when they hear I'm alive say, yeah, don't need to prove it to me. Didn't he say broccoli? Isn't that exactly what he said? And can't we trust him? Blessed are those who don't need me to prove what I've already told you. 
You wanted to be clear, have the facts, fine. But blessed are those who trust me. And then John says, Jesus did many other miracles and miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't even recorded in this book. But these are written so that you, audience, you who weren't there, you who are reading this now, you who are hearing this now, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Gospels are written for people like Thomas who weren't there that night. And they're written so that we can be reminded you're never going to get to heaven by being really good and trying really hard. You're never going to get to heaven by trusting in the prophet Shari. It's never going to work like that. It's never. She, she, she's good. She's not that good. You're never going to you're never going to get to heaven by plunking money into a plate. There's one way. Let me tell you about it. That's why the Gospels are written. That eternal life is yours. The spirit that he breathed into them is the same spirit he breathes into us. When Mary finally came to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, she ran, she ran to tell the other disciples. When Thomas came to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, he fell to his knees. He dropped and said, you are my Lord and my God. If you truly believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, Resurrection Sunday is hit. What? Do you run to tell people? Do you drop to your knees and praise God? We have the opportunity to tell people, to share the gospel that was written to tell people who weren't there and say, blessed are those who will believe without having been there. Blessed are those who can have the faith to be certain of what they hope for, to be certain of what they're not seeing, to trust. Do we live like that? Do we live like we have the opportunity every day to live like he's alive? And if he says broccoli, believe broccoli. Do we live like that? You don't. And I'm not judging I'm just being a pragmatist. Truth is, if you're anything like me, no, you don't. You don't live every day like that. Hopefully you live most days like that. Some of you, I don't know. Why don't you wake up every morning and say, Lord, let today be a day I marvel at you. And I live like if you say broccoli, I believe broccoli. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for the opportunity to wake up every morning. I thank you for the opportunity to wake up every morning and know you're God. I thank you for the opportunity to wake up every morning knowing that you're God and being able to be your ambassador to a world that doesn't know that. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to believe without seeing. Thank you, Lord. We give you our lives as an act of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.